Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you, Allie. And I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect Education Workshop Update on Marginal Zone Lymphoma or MZL. And today's program is supported by Pharmacyclics LLC and AbV Company and Janssen Biotech Inc. administered by Janssen Scientific Affairs LLC. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program. Now we have many of you on the call today. There's over 160 participants on this call today and you come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Canada, India, Iraq, Lithuania and the United Kingdom, so it's a global call as well. And it's really a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce our speaker, Dr. David Strauss. Dr. Strauss is attending physician, lymphoma service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, professor of clinical medicine, Weill Cornell Medical College. And Dr. Strauss will be addressing an overview of marginal zone lymphoma including staging and location in the context of COVID-19, subtypes of marginal zone lymphoma, review of treatment options, treatment for relapsed refractory marginal zone lymphoma, managing treatment side effects, symptoms, and discomfort, key questions to ask your healthcare team, um, the important role of clinical trials in the context of COVID-19, how research contributes to your treatment options, the increasing role of telehealth, telemedicine appointments, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, discussion, uh, and discussion of open notes, and quality of life concerns, and follow-up care. It is my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Strauss. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be invited uh, to speak to you today about uh, marginal zone lymphoma. Uh, marginal zone lymphoma is a fairly rare type of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. Lymphoma is the term that's used for a blood cancer that involves white blood cells called lymphocytes. Uh, these cells normally operate the body's immune system. They circulate in the blood. They're present in the bone marrow, which is the factory for blood, lymph nodes throughout the body, which are connected to each other by vessels. They circulate in the system of lymph nodes and vessels, which is in connection with the blood circulation. Uh, so they're throughout the body. They are also in many tissues and organs uh, throughout the body contain uh, lymphocytes such as the bone marrow, which as I mentioned is the factory for blood, the spleen, which is a, uh, a organ uh, in the upper left abdomen, which is largely comp comprised of lymphocytes, 
the lining of the gastrointestinal tract and other sites. So blood cancers are somewhat different from solid tumors. Uh, solid tumors, or what we call solid tumors, are tumors that originate in a particular organ and then spread or metastasize from that original primary site. For example, uh, colon cancer uh, starts in the cells that line the colon. They can spread from there through the lymphatics around the colon to lymph nodes around the colon. They can spread through the bloodstream to distant sites like liver, lung, or other sites. We call this a metastasis. So most uh, solid tumors that start in organs, if they are localized, the treatment is usually surgery to remove, remove, uh, remove the tumor. And systemic treatment, which is treatment that gets at it, gets at the disease wherever it is throughout the body, such as chemotherapy, immunotherapy, uh, targeted therapies, pills or intravenously administered, we'll get to the treatment, we'll get to the disease wherever it is. These are systemic treatments. And for solid tumors, they're mostly used, systemic treatment is mostly used uh, for metastasis or for disease that spread beyond uh, the original, the primary site when it's, when it's diagnosed. Whereas in lymphoma, we tend to use systemic treatments. Um, so I think that's an important concept because people will say, has it spread? Well, it spread from the get-go usually. Sometimes it is localized, and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But usually it spreads through, throughout the body. So if it's in a couple of different sites, we don't say it's spread or, or originated in one site and then gone to the other site. We think it's a systemic treatment from the get-go, and it may not even be detectable in a distant site uh, when the diagnosis is made and only with time will show up in that site. So I think uh, the, the non-Hodgkin lymphomas, there's Hodgkin lymphoma, which is less common, more common in young people. And then there's a group of nearly 100 diseases that are lumped together and are called non-Hodgkin lymphomas. And they are more commonly seen in middle-aged and older people, though some are seen in younger people as well. Um, and there is a, a large variation in the types of cancers that are included in this category. On the, on the one extreme, for example, with respect to how fast they grow, uh, there are some of the fastest growing cancers in humans. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are some of the slowest growing uh, cancers in tumors. Some tumors in humans, sometimes they're called indolent or lazy lymphomas. So marginal zone lymphoma is, is usually a lazy lymphoma. And so the approach to scary cancers aggressive lymphomas, which are scary cancers, or other scary cancers, and that's what you think of when, you, when somebody says cancer. This, these are diseases where you have to treat immediately to have a good outcome. On the other hand, the slowly growing or indolent lymphomas 
uh, I think it's helpful to think of them as chronic conditions, analogous to other chronic conditions that are not cancer, that don't have the scary term cancer. For example, high blood pressure, diabetes, chronic pulmonary disease. These are diseases where uh, the treatment is not a cure, but it controls the disease, which is a chronic condition. So, um, marginal zone lymphomas are fairly rare cancers. They're about 5 to 10% of the non-Hodgkin lymphomas in the U.S. And there are three uh, different categories, uh, which I'll discuss separately. Uh, the first is what we call extranodal marginal zone lymphomas that often occur in glandular tissue in the GI tract or other places that is not a lymph node, it's extranodal. That's the most common type. Then there are lymphomas of the spleen, so-called splenic lymphomas, and lastly, there are nodal lymphomas that mostly occur in lymph nodes. So extranodal marginal zone lymphomas uh, comprise a number of different sites uh, uh, where they present. Uh, the most common of these are uh, extranodal marginal zone lymphomas of the stomach. They arise in the, lining, in the, in the uh, lymph tissue lining the stomach and the gastrointestinal tract, and they are sometimes called uh, malt lymphomas, which stands for mucosa-associated lymphoid tumors. So these are the tumors that occur in the stomach and also in other sites. Um, they are often, the marginal zone lymphomas of the stomach are often localized at diagnosis. They are associated with uh, in, infection in the stomach of a bacteria called Helicobacter pylori, which is also associated with uh, stomach cancer, solid tumor that starts in the stomach. Uh, in the United States, I, I think about 90% of the uh, marginal zone lymphomas of the stomach will have evidence of Helicobacter pylori in the stomach in the biopsies or in the samples from the stomach. Uh, and the, like with some of the other marginal zone lymphomas, it's thought that a chronic infection uh, stimulates the immune cells, the immune lymphoid cells, and if they divide rapidly, there is a greater chance that a mistake will be made or a mutation in the genetic material leading to a cancer. And interestingly, with uh, marginal zone lymphomas of the stomach, the first treatment is to treat with an antibiotic to get rid of the Helicobacter pylori. And that can result in uh, complete and very long-term remissions and may be the only treatment that's needed. For cases that uh, are helicobacter pylori negative uh, or who relapse after that in, in the same local site, 
we often use radiation therapy. Radiation therapy is a targeted therapy that treats uh, directly the, the tumor and uh, areas around the tumor. It's a localized treatment. So with that approach, uh, there are very long-term remissions and some patients never recur. Um, and if uh, other treatment is required, uh, it's the same kind of treatment that we use for some of the other lymphomas, which I will discuss in a little while. Other sites for marginal zones uh, for uh, malt lymphomas or extranodal marginal, no, marginal zone lymphomas are in the eye socket, in either the uh, tear glands or in the, or in the conjunctiva, which is the membrane that lines the outside of the eye and the eyelids. And again, these can occur uh, locally and local treatment with radiation therapy can be very effective in controlling that. They rarely, often, very often they don't reoccur. Oddly enough, sometimes when they re reoccur, they don't reoccur in a lymph node, they recur in the, in the conjunctiva or the tear gland on the opposite eye, which is very strange. There is some uh, association with a, uh, a microorganism called chlamydia that can cause vaginal infection also. Uh, that's been reported in Europe, but not so much in this country. There are marginal zone lymphomas of the skin, which again, say, stay sort of localized to the skin. Neither of these are, are life-threatening. None of these that I've mentioned are, are life-threatening, usually at the, t at the time of diagnosis. And these can be excised or radiated if they are localized. Oddly, it, when, they, when the skin marginal zone, zone lymphomas recur, they tend to occur in other sites in the skin, not in the site uh, where they've been surgically removed or the site that's been radiated. Uh, there are uh, 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 marginal zone lymphomas that occur in salivary glands. Uh, there is an association with an inflammatory condition, as I said, with Helicobacter pylori. This causes inflammation in the stomach, stimulation of lymphocytes, and the condition with the salivary glands is an autoimmune condition related to rheumatoid arthritis cause called Sjogren's syndrome, which can cause dry mouth and, and uh, lack of tearing. There are marginal zone lymphomas of the lung. Again, uh, they can occur as a single uh, location or in, uh, in, in several locations in one lung or sometimes in both lungs. Interestingly, those uh, lymphomas are among the most slowly growing uh, uh, cancers that they are. They are malignancies by biologic definition, but most of the patients that I've seen through the years with this condition I've never treated. It's never been necessary to treat. And these can be seen, again, in the setting of people who have been smoking, have chronic bronchitis, have chronic lung infections like bronchiectasis. Again, either immune, autoimmune or infectious stimulation of the lymphocytes can increase 
the risk of a occurrence of a mutation of a mistake in the uh, replication of the DNA that is a driver of the lymphomas. And there is a, uh, a type that's seen mostly in the Middle East and Northern Africa called intestinal, uh, called immunoproliferative small intestinal disease, or IPSID. Uh, this uh, uh, disease is not seen very often here, and uh, it is uh, associated with excretion of part of an immune globulin called IgA, the heavy chain part of this immune globulin, which is a natural product of the lymphocytes normally and of their descendants, plasma cells. So again, radiation therapy for, uh, for uh, marginal zone lymphomas of the tear gland or the conjunctiva or of the stomach is Sort of frontline treatment. Uh, some of you know uh, lung lymphomas often require no treatment at all. Uh, the second type is splenic marginal zone lymphoma, which uh, involves the spleen uh, and often the blood and bone marrow, which is the factory for blood. Uh, this is the next most common, but much less common than, than extranodal marginal zone lymphomas. The spleen may be very enlarged, causing symptoms such as early satiety, so you, you get filling of the stomach uh, uh, and have to have uh, frequent small filling. Sometimes if, if the spleen outgrow, if the tumor outgrows the blood supply in the spleen, there can be death of the tissue, and that can cause pain and fever. Uh, and uh, this disease was treated locally in the past with splenectomy, sometimes, which is removal of the spleen. Sometimes this is how the diagnosis was made. These days, we found that the monoclonal antibody rituximab, the CD20 antibody, uh, which is which uh, calls into play body's immune defenses, destroy lymphoma cells. That treatment with uh, rituximab alone can be result in very durable remissions. This uh, type of lymphoma is also associated with immune dysfunction, with autoimmune conditions such as antibodies that destroy red blood cells, which is called autoimmune anemia, or platelets, which is called uh, idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura. And then the least common type is nodal marginal zone lymphoma, which is about 10% of the marginal zone lymphomas, which I said are only 5 to 10% of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So it's really, I, I'm, I've really been puzzled as to whether this is really an entity or whether it's a diagnosis of exclusion. Because we have um, biopsies of lymph nodes, we do have, mar or other sites, we have markers that we can use with the stains that they use under the microscope that are characteristic of certain types of lymphoma. So if you have a slowly growing lymphoma, mostly in lymph nodes, and it's a B-cell lymphoma, uh, and it doesn't have the markers for the other ones, you know, they, they might say 
could be a marginal zone lymphoma. So we actually, uh, with uh, a couple of our fellows, we're looking at our experience uh, with this disease to try to define it clinically and to try to figure out if it really stands up in it as an entity. It's rather, it's rather poorly, uh, it's really described, poorly described in the literature. Um, for marginal zone lymphoma that's beyond localized and systemic, uh, we often will just follow it, but if it requires treatment, which I would say doesn't happen that often, probably the frontline treatment is rituximab, which is the CD20 antibody that I mentioned is used uh, for splenic marginal zone lymphomas. Sometimes uh, drugs like cyclophosphamide or uh, bendamustine, which are so-called alkylating agents, are added to the rituximab. And recently, a new class of drugs have been introduced in marginal zone lymphoma, uh, which are targeted agents. And these are small molecules that go to and, and interfere with metabolic pathways in cancer cells that drive the growth and regulate the death of the cells. If you interfere with those, you can kill the cancer cells. Uh, there are many of these. One of the first ones, uh, and they're used in solid tumors and in blood cancers, one of the first ones is one that has been introduced for uh, marginal zone lymphoma called abrutinib. And uh, there's another uh, second uh, generation one that's also approved called xanabrutinib. These drugs interfere with the BTK, the T cell, the B cell receptor pathway in the cancer cells and cause their death. This is a very effective treatment for nodal marginal zone lymphoma and other marginal zone lymphomas and uh, my colleague Dr. Noy is conducting a clinical trial comparing the combination of abrutinib with rituximab versus abrutinib alone or versus rituximab alone. So um, because of, the, of these considerations, uh, I guess just to say, you know, how does this all affected by the COVID uh, uh, pandemic? So uh, some of the treatments we use, particularly rituximab, are very immunosuppressive and have the potential of really uh, sort of uh, being associated with more severe forms and more frequent uh, 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 contracting of, of COVID-19. Fortunately, with most of the marginal zone lymphomas where treatment, if needed, would be systemic, don't need treatment immediately. If we need to treat, we do. Uh, we now have monoclonal antibodies that are manufactured like Evyshil, which we can give to patients that will protect them for several months if they are very immunosuppressed. Radiation therapy is not really an issue if it's localized disease with COVID. And we've been able to successfully treat uh, our patients who do require marginal zone lymphoma 
in the vast majority of cases. Now, um, I guess some of the other topics we want to cover is questions to your healthcare team. Certainly, you know, I have a nurse who takes calls and I tell my patients that if you want to speak to me and I'm around, I'll take the call or you can go, you know, I, I will answer the call. I think it's very important to stay in touch uh, if something comes up. And you, you know, usually I say that you can be seen before your scheduled appointment if something comes up. Telehealth, uh, we used a lot at the beginning of the COVID uh, epidemic. And I really was very skeptical because telehealth is just talk, seeing somebody on a video and talking to them. And I, it, I was surprised at how useful that can be. So when we really were not, didn't want to see patients, exposing them to the risks of, of being seen live, we, we got a lot done with uh, telemedicine. I mean, it depends on the type of medicine that you're doing. I mean, gynecology is, you know, you can't really do that so well by telemedicine. But if you're measuring lymph nodes or size of the spleen on exam, well, you know, we have we have scans that can show the same thing. So when necessary, uh, we have used telemedicine. I think as things have somewhat subsided with COVID, not so much, we still have a lot of cases, but the disease seems to be milder. Um, I am seeing more and more patients in person, and I do think that it is best to see somebody in person, to talk to them in person, and to examine them. Uh, so that the, I have done new visits by telemedicine, but I prefer to do them when possible in person so that I can actually examine the patient, talk to them in person, and so on. So I guess that brings me up to the, I guess it's 30 minutes rather than 27 minutes, which I was assigned, but I think I've covered most of the things that I was asked to cover. So I guess we could uh, now uh, open this up for questions. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Strauss. That was really an outstanding, just a stellar presentation. Um, we're actually getting a lot of wonderful feedback from your presentation. Uh, thank you so much. And, and now I just want to say a few words about cancer care, and then we'll move right on to your many questions that you're posting already. Um, so. Um, cancer Care is a national organization and all of our services are free. Um, and many people contact our HOPELINE at 800-813-4673 or visit our website at www.cancercare.org. Um, and what are the services we offer? So many people call our HOPELINE and when they call the HOPELINE they speak to an oncology social worker. And they usually ask a specific question, and then the social worker will go over with them all the specific, um, you know, um, services that we offer. So, what are those services? We offer support from the oncology social workers. We offer online support groups, and we have many online support groups for many different people with many different types of cancer, um, both also for caregivers, for young adults, older adults. Um, and every type of cancer, um, including marginal cell lymphoma. Um, we also offer um, practical 
financial and co-payment assistance, which is very important to people at this time to receive that help. We also have a pet assistance program so that people who may have a cat or a dog and don't have and are too ill to walk their dog or to change the litter box or to buy food for their, um, for their cat or dog, um, we will assist with all of that. And we also have a case management group so that if we don't have the service that you require, our um, staff will help you to go virtually to organizations that will be able to help you. It could have to do with not having enough money for food or for rent or mortgage payments or for other issues like that, and we will assist you with that. And we will take you to those organizations virtually until you get that help. They'll stay with you until we, we get you the help you need. And so, um, and lastly, we do have uh, coping circles, which are small group discussions um, led by a social worker um, around different issues that people struggle with in coping with um, cancer. Um, um, and so that's another, another service we offer. And now, um, that gives you a snapshot of our services, and now we have time for questions. And I'm going to um, ask um, Ali to explain to all of you how to cure for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Ali? Of course, thank you. And those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking the Ask a Question. Type your question and click Submit. Back to you, Karen. So um, a question for Dr. Strauss. Do you see BCL6 in ENMZL? Um, sometimes. It doesn't really... Um, actually, BCL6 is more common in follicular lymphomas. There are a number of bi uh, markers that are not present in marginal zone lymphomas that are present in other types of lymphomas. Uh, for example, CD10 is a very important marker that is seen in follicular lymphoma, not seen in marginal zone lymphoma. CD5 uh, is a marker that's seen in uh, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, small cell lymphoma, not often in marginal zone lymphoma. Um, BCL6 is more common in follicular lymphomas. Um, I don't think it has any particular uh, prognostic or management in implications. And then another question um, for you, um, Dr. Strauss, does BTK treatment eliminate memory B cells? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I, it does really, it does, I, the, the cancer cells, uh, overexpress, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, B cell receptors. So they're more susceptible to, uh, the, uh, to abrutinib or, or xanabrutinib than normal B cells. Um, I I guess they are associated with some uh, infections, maybe decreased immunity, but they're not completely destroyed. I mean, much more immunosuppressive and associated with infections is, is rituximab, which uh, really hits 
a receptor on the surface of normal and malignant B lymphocytes and then calls into play the body's own immune system to destroy them. So that, those drugs are more uh, rituximab, the CD20 antibodies, obinutuzumab, are more, uh, they suppress uh, uh, normal lymphocytes probably more than, uh, than abrutinib or xanabrutinib. But that's a very good question. I mean, I, 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 I don't really know precisely the answer to that. My sense is that uh, they may have some effect on memory B cells, but clinically speaking, that doesn't really seem to be a problem. Excellent. And another question from one of our online participants. What happens when triple therapy of two antibiotics combined with proton pump inhibitors do not work. That proton pump inhibitors, this is like, uh, uh, okay. And, and yeah, well, I mean, I think that, you know, marginal zone lymphomas often do not require systemic treatment. The localized disease can be treated locally with radiation treatment usually or sometimes surgery. And I think the frontline treatment, rituximab, uh, alone or with an alkylating agent like, like uh, bendamustine or cyclophosphamide, or in relapse cases, anabrutinib or abrutinib, the targeted treatments is usually effective. After that, I think we are really getting to the area of clinical trials. Uh, and, you know, there are a number of clinical trials that are open for many of the B-cell malignancies, and we've put patients on those. I should mention, and I think I failed to mention in my talk, uh, one clear indication for treatment is what we call transformation, which means that the underlying indolent, slowly growing, lazy lymphoma starts to grow faster. And that's probably due to acquisition of further uh, mutations that drive the growth of the, of the cells faster. If we do a biopsy, we will often find that the cells look more uh, malignant, they look more abnormal uh, than the cells in marginal zone lymphoma. We call that transformation. They kind of look like a disease that's called diffuse large B-cell lymphoma when we, when we diagnose that. Uh, it's really the same lymphoma just growing faster. And that is uh, a clear indication for treatment, usually with a kind of uh, immunochemotherapy or combination chemotherapy that we use for uh, faster-growing lymphomas. Marginal zone lymphoma cells are small, and they really look not too different from normal lymphocytes. Um, and they, they, they're called marginal zone because they resemble normal lymphocytes in, a, in the normal spleen in a region called the marginal zone. I don't know, that's just, the, that's where the 
term marginal zone lymphoma comes from. I, I don't know the biologic significance of that, but that's why they're called marginal. So they're, 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 they're slowly growing small lymphocytes that look not too different from normal lymphocytes. Excellent. And another question of you, Dr. Charles, can CAR-T be used on marginal cell lymphoma? Uh, I'm not really aware that that's an indication for CAR-T cells. Uh, CAR-T cells are used for follicular lymphoma sometimes for, and more commonly for diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Um, I, there may be, uh, it's, it's not a clear indication for CAR T cells. And I think that the clinical situation where those are needed, uh, absent transformation are pretty, uh, pretty rare. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and another question, my enlarged spleen has caused fatigue and discomfort. Do you have any tips to manage these symptoms? Well, I think uh, I think the spleen should be addressed uh, in the in 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 days past before rituximab splenectomy. You know, removing the spleen was the treatment. Nowadays, we can shrink the spleen with rituximab and other treatment, but splenectomy sometimes. You know, if all of that. Uh, doesn't work is still sometimes used and i would say that if you if you need that i would make sure that you have a surgeon who is experienced in doing splenectomies of large spleens I and mean, we have some uh, surgeons in our institution that are really really have done a lot of that so it can be a fairly big surgery but you know, you wanted radiating the spleen. Uh, we haven't really been too uh, impressed with the effects. Uh, they they tend to be uh, not very long lived, and uh, you can get scarring from the radiation treatment that can interfere with surgery if it's needed uh, at a later time. So I think, you know, rituximab maybe rituximab with chemotherapy or a removal of the spleen is pretty much what we would do for that problem. And does it make sense, uh, Dr. Strauss, for people with marginal cell lymphoma to go to a center that um, of excellence um, that actually um, deals with lymphomas and deals with marginal cell lymphoma as opposed to a small hospital? Um, does that something that is recommended, or at least to get a consult at a major center. Um, does that make sense to you? Well, you know, I think that the management of marginal zone lymphoma can be simple. A lot of times, many of my patients, maybe most, I follow and I don't treat. I really don't have to treat. On the other hand, you know, it's a rare, it's a rare, non-Hodgkin lymphoma is not the the, the most common Cancer. I mean, I guess there's 60,000, something like that, new cases per year. Nowhere near the frequency of lung cancer, breast cancer, uh, colon cancer, uh, prostate cancer. Um, so if you have a disease that's 5 to 10% of those, then, you know, it's, it's a good idea to... Uh, 
you know, to at least get a consultation and have some input from from experts. Uh, certainly, the radiation therapy uh, to the eye, to the tear glands, or to the conjunctiva is very specialized. Really, needs very expert treatment planning by radiation oncologists who've done this for a long time. And if you have a really very much enlarged spleen and and need surgery, you know, it's best, I think, that a surgeon with experience uh, does that. So, yes, I think there is definitely value for a rare cancer to get some input from a cancer center. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and so here's another question. Um, in which cases would using a combination of drugs be better than using one? Is it better to use one and then the other if the first stops responding, or are there better co outcomes for those who use combinations, combination of both? My doctor says she'll put me on rituxan bendamustine. And if you could answer this in a general way, since, of course, we don't have all the details of this particular participant's um, medical history and just 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 a well there's there's no there's no one answer to that there are sometimes when a combination is better there are sometimes when a single agent is is fine uh, I think that uh, some situations where uh, the growth has been slow and so on and I think the first to try rituximab as a single agent is often the first step. But certainly combination of uh, what's called immunochemotherapy, which is a combination of usually antibody treatment like rituximab or obinutuzumab with chemotherapy is also useful in some cases. So I, I, you know, as far as a particular situation goes, you know, it's very hard to say. I mean, I, I really, I'm not, I like, I mean, I, I really am very hesitant to give specific advice about treatment without seeing the patient and really, you know, getting all the information. Because sometimes, you know, you, you, you may not have all the facts and you, you, you may not be good. So, I, um, as I say, telemedicine is fine. And, you know, sometimes we've done uh, consults. We have an international center where they'll send us records, slides, and x-rays. And we'll say, you know, given the information we have, I think, you know, I would do this, but this is not specific information. This is not specific advice, which I can't give without really knowing all the particulars, and it's best to do it in person. Excellent. Thank you. And that's actually very good for everyone to hear on the call. So you're getting some general information, but then you need to take that back to your treating healthcare team or consider whether you want to get a second opinion. Um, so that's really very important information that Dr. Strauss is giving you. And here's another, again, these are uh, always specific questions, and uh, I'm sure Dr. Strauss will answer it in a general way. So last rituxan 11-320, lymphocytes initially normal, last few blood test values going down, last one, 0.67, shouldn't lymphocytes be normal by now? Again, if you can answer this in a general I way. Think, I think I'm not going to, I, you know, I can't intelligently answer that uh, and that kind of specificity over the over a, a large call like this. 
I'm sorry. I really that makes that makes sense. So we ask you to take this. I, I mean, it's, it's, that question is too much in the weeds for me to really responsibly answer without really knowing more. So I, we're going to suggest that this participant go back to treating healthcare team and ask the question of them, either in a visit to them or with um, uh, setting up a telehealth telemedicine appointment, but really ask that question of them because they know you and also considering if you're not quite sure of the answer you're getting to consider perhaps a second opinion so that some way you're feeling more confident about your, how you're proceeding. Um, I agree with that. I think the first stop is always to talk to your doctor and have them explain, you know, what they're doing and what they think. And this is a more general question. Um, why is marginal zone lymphoma more common in women? Is it more common in women, I guess? <laughs> First question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. It's a very good question. You know, it is associated with chronic inflammatory conditions, uh, infections or autoimmune conditions like rheumatologic diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's syndrome. And, you know, I guess maybe the stimulation in some patients of the immune system overstimulation can increase the chances that can occur. Why does it not occur more frequently? I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. And I think that's an area for research to see if, uh, if, if factors that really increase the risk of that can be identified. Excellent. And here's a question um, which I'll try to take on. Um, is there a support group or forum for people with marginal zone lymphoma? From what I know, our cancer is quite rare, and I haven't talked to others who are going through the same experience. So what I would suggest is that there are a number of um, blood cancer organizations. Um, there's Leukemia Lymphoma Society, um, and there also is Lymphoma Research Foundation, and we will, at the end of today's, well, actually tomorrow, you'll be getting a SurveyMonkey evaluation. But in that evaluation, there also will be resources for you. And I w we will provide their contact information. And I would suggest contacting them in addition to contacting Cancer Care um, for help in identifying a support group or forum. Um, and also some specific medical centers, some of the larger NCI designated cancer centers they may also have specific groups for marginal zone lymphoma. They may have a, a larger uh, group of people that are coming to them for their care. So their social work department would have that. So we'll put in some information like that about the NCI designated centers. So that would be hopefully helpful to you. Um, and um, so this question is, I, this is a, probably our last question. I have an accessory spleen. What does, that mean when I have splenic marginal lymphoma? Um, can you comment on that? Uh, well, I don't know. It's, it's, I suppose it's possible that the um, uh, accessory spleen could become involved, I guess. I, frankly, I'm not aware off the top of my head of any case report of that, but that means that you have splenic tissue outside of the spleen somewhere in the abdomen. Sometimes uh, patients who have autoimmune hemolytic anemia 
where there is an autoimmune condition where the body, you know, the immune system makes a mistake and, and starts making antibodies to destroy your own cells. In the case of this condition, it's, it's, uh, it's the red blood cells that are coated with the antibodies and they, it, they're destroyed more rapidly than normal, particularly in the spleen. I mean, sometimes patients who uh, have had a splenectomy will get a recurrence and it will be due to that in the accessory spleen. But, you know, whether or not there's a, a good likelihood that you'll get, get the lymphoma in the accessory spleen, I don't really know. I, I've never really heard of that. It's an interesting we, question. We have a, the interesting participants today with very unusual questions, and, and, and they're wonderful questions to really go back to your healthcare team with. They were great. And, um, they were great. They really, they, they, you know, this was, they were, uh, you know, they were, they were tough questions, good questions. They were. Yeah, and good I questions. appreciate that. It shows that this is a very smart, you know, uh, audience that is really paying attention, and it, it was great. It was really a pleasure. And do you want to give just a takeaway to the participants today, something you'd like to leave them with as a, a kind of a um, just um, sentence or two of just... Well, I, I think a, a message that I, I like to give is, you know, people hear cancer and they really, they think of the scary cancers. And having a marginal zone lymphoma, you know, you could have a transformation, you, you know, there are situations where it has to be treated, but very often it's just like another chronic condition. So you're followed, you're treated when you need to be treated, you're not treated when you're not, don't need to be treated. It can be like that a lot. So I think, uh, I think the distinction between chronic conditions and scary cancers is something I, you know, because people really, you know, you hear the word cancer and you really freak out. You think this is, you know, like I'm going to die tomorrow. And, you know, it's just not like that for most people. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Strauss. Your presentation was just superb, I have to say. And our participants really did ask really very complex questions. And you're right, it's an informed audience, and we appreciate that. And I think, although we've done this program before, um, I don't think we've ever had this degree of um, specific questions that are very complex, almost could be the basis of uh, another a research project or something, because they are some of the questions are really, um, really are complex questions. And so I do, and we have many more questions. Well, especially, do, especially oh. challenging because some of them I didn't really know the answers to. <laughs> well, but if you didn't know the answers to, and I have to say, um, Dr. Strauss has spent um, his his career at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and if he doesn't know the answer to it, that means it's, those are very complex questions that you're asking because I've worked with Dr. Strauss for many years now, and if he doesn't know the answer, um, <laughs> then I would say that um, the questions are really important questions to go back to your healthcare team with to be sure that you understand your particular type of marginal zone lymphoma and to get your answers from your healthcare team, if that would help. But I, I hope that you've learned some things today that will help you in your talking with your healthcare team. But I do want to thank 
Dr. Strauss. I also want to thank our participants uh, as well. Um, and although as we've done this program many times before, um, these have been very, very um, sophisticated questions. Some of them really are and show the depth of your knowledge and you're also wanting to know more. So I do want to relate to the fact that we also could go on for another hour because we do have many more questions in queue. So we only were able to take some. And so um, I do want to comment about that as well. Um, for those of you who, um, for those of you who asked a question, for those of you who have a question yet to ask, and for those of you who are thinking of a question, we ask you, I think as Dr. Strauss had said, go back to your treating healthcare team. They know you the best, they have your medical records, and they really are able to, of course, address your questions or help you to get the answers that you need given the specific type of marginal zone lymphoma that you have. Um, again, they have all of your medical records, your blood work, everything, so they have that information. Also, um, we would not want anyone to feel alone in coping with marginal zone lymphoma. We want you to know that you're part of the community of support and we're here to help you. And you will be getting that SurveyMonkey evaluation and we will include all the resources that we can come up with that will help you, those of you who are looking for a support group, for those of you who would like to get more resources and information, we will provide the credible websites and institutions like Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, like the Lymphoma Research Foundation, we will include those organizations with their websites because they have very credible, they, they check those sites very carefully and have the most up-to-date information that you could possibly imagine um, on them. We don't really um, want you to just Google the, the question. We want you to actually go to very credible sites that are reviewed by expert speakers like Dr. Strauss. Um, also, um, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. With that, that does conclude today's call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.